0: Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Vanessa on Films. This is the podcast where we discuss film and TV news. I am your host, Vanessa. This is episode 16. Um, If it isn't, then ignore that, but I'm pretty sure it's the 16th episode. And so, yeah, um, 4, 8, 12, 16. It's been about four months. I had to do the math in my head. I did it out loud. Anyways, um, so, yeah, I've been doing this for about four-ish months, um, so yeah, it's just really cool that um, I've stuck with it because honestly, I thought I wouldn't at some points, but I really enjoy just talking about film news and whatever is happening and like educating people on it. So yeah, I'm glad that I can, I've can i continued to do it. So I sort of just woke up, kind of, I'm not explaining what happened, but anyways, um if it sounds like that, it's because I did. And uh, you know what? It adds character. Anyways, Um, what I was going to say is like last week I mentioned something about like talking about specific projects that I was part of and or like things that I've been writing and then I just never did. I think I got distracted by something and I don't remember what it was. I started talking about something else. Oh, I started talking about meeting Patty Harrison. Like, okay. But anyways, um, yeah, so I, I'm kind of like, there's a lot of like writing projects that I've written that are going to be published soon or the, you know, the magazines or whatever they're part of are going to be published soon. One of them hasn't necessarily gone to that stage yet, so I'm not going to talk about it yet, but there's one. um, I'll talk about two things, but the first I want to talk about is uh, my involvement in Petal Projections' sixth issue. I think that's correct. It's for the summer 2023 issue. Yeah, so Petal Projections is a community-based publication it really does have a focus on, you know, intersectional feminine identities, but also intersectional feminism as a whole. Um, yeah, so it really is, um, about artists and writers coming together and having a space to, you know, share works that relate to, um, those intersectional identities. And so, yeah, um, I submitted a poem called The Woman Who Killed the Sun and, um, it got, accepted and i also ended up writing kind of like a supplementary essay um and since i guess um this is a podcast about like film i yeah so the poem that i wrote is about um actually you know what i'm not going to say what it's about you should buy the issue and read it um but anyways the the essay that i wrote is about barbenheimer and i guess it kind of just I don't want to say it just like explained it I think it I think I went a little bit more in depth about why this was such a special event and why Barbie and Oppenheimer releasing on the same day wasn't you know it isn't just something that we can kind of like gloss over or look over like it it did really have a very special impact on the box office and so yeah I talk a little bit about each of the films um what you know, the people behind them, uh, the numbers that they both did. But I also talk about how them being released on the same day really does uh, benefit the industry as a whole. And it's so important to see these kinds of films, which even though they are based on, you know, one's based off of um, a book and one's based off of a, you know, hugely important and popular IP, it's still really cool to see these kinds of movies make the amount of money that they did because we've become so attuned and like used to franchises or superhero stuff kind of always winning the box office so I'm just glad that this wasn't the case and I talk a little bit about why like this is kind of like a history making event for the film industry and I really do hope that I don't know I I think I think it's going to make a lot of studio executives want the wrong things like we as we know like Mattel is announcing a bunch of movies based off their shit now but at the end of the day I think I, I do think that what they could do is look at what happened with these two films and their release and yeah um I think there could be something special that could come out from this and so yeah I wrote a little bit of a little bit no I wrote an essay on it and it'll be included in the same issue as my poem so i'm thinking uh that you should buy the issue um i'll definitely link it in the description and you could even if you don't necessarily want to um buy buy the issue um you can like just check out what pedal projections is all about and support them and yeah i'm really looking forward to just you know having the issue and being able to share my involvement in it. And yeah, I'm I'm just really super excited that I was given the opportunity to do that. On the other hand, I've been really, really interested in, I've always been interested, but specifically like as I've gotten older, um, older, I say that as if, yeah, anyways, but I've just been really like, um, interested in looking at media, whether it be like television, books, or movies, or yeah, short stories. And I guess, Analyzing them, I don't necessarily like reviewing or critiquing things. What I do like doing is engaging with them and engaging with the themes that are on display in whatever I'm talking about. Um, I I did this for a class essay. I've done it multiple times for a class essay, but um yeah. So I'm looking to do more of that. It's just the thing is is um I'm looking. I'm gonna have to find a place to submit this kind of writing. Um yeah, so I I'm just I'm just looking for places to do that but I do think that I want to write about Swallow, the film from 2019 uh, starring Haley Bennett. This is a film that I actually haven't watched yet, but I do know what it's about like I've <laughs> I I know what it's about and I know what happens and I know a lot of the themes on display. And I'm really, really interested in, of course, I have to watch it. Like, I can't write about something and not watch it. But I do have to watch the film and, you know, analyze it. And I'm interested in writing also an essay about that. Um, I definitely do want to connect it to a lot of the philosophy and a lot of the, yeah, whatever, like, feminist theories that I'm familiar with. A lot of my writing, um, at least my more academic writing, is about, um, yeah, is about, like, feminist, um, theory, and I, that was something that I studied a lot in school. Yeah, so I'm definitely interested in doing more of that, like, writing about films this way. Um, I, I, I was actually thinking of writing about Nope, um, of course, the Jordan Peele film. Um, I was gonna write about the, um, like, the, the idea of the spectacle, but there's actually been quite a few essays written about it um not necessarily academic essays but yeah that's definitely been something that has been written already about it i don't know i might eventually revisit it but i kind of want to do something different and i don't think there's a lot written about swallow um it's i think it's a popular film i know a lot of people know about it but again yeah it doesn't necessarily have that presence within um writing or Yeah, like the more academic writing. So I'm kind of thinking of writing an essay about that and relating it back to Claudia Card's Against Marriage and Motherhood. And I feel like if you don't know what that is, that's cool. Um, But it's like one of Claudia Card's like probably most popular essays. I'm going to say that not with confidence. But anyways, um, it's definitely something that I'm really interested in doing. I don't know when I'll do it, but it's just something that I've been thinking about. Um, I'm super excited to just engage with the film through that essay and like bringing in that essay and showcasing how it sort of has a lot of the themes that Claudia was writing about on display in the film. Anyways, yeah. So don't know when I'm going to do it, but yeah, like I'm just thinking about it. Uh, It'll happen eventually. Don't know when. And if it happens in a year, who knows, maybe. Yeah, that's just like something I've been thinking of right now that I'm definitely interested in doing eventually. Let's move on. Um, Enough about me, but I, yeah, this is like the opening rant portion or question of the, the episode. And so, yeah, I was thinking of why films nowadays are so expensive to make. I feel like I've spoken about this multiple times on this podcast for a good reason. Um, but yeah, I was just thinking like, we really need to like redistribute how the like the budgets. Um, and I know like it depends on the studios and how much the studios have and how much the studios are willing to dish out. But it's just like, I think we have to cap them. Like I don't understand why movies cost more than, I think I said 50 million at one point, but I'm going to raise it to 80. And so, like, I was thinking of this because two reasons. It definitely relates to the first piece of news for this week. But yeah, so recently the creator dropped in theaters. And I believe the budget for that film was 80 million. And that's a fairly hefty budget. Like, I would personally consider that blockbuster money. But anyways, I was reading about it and there's so many articles that were like, we spoke to Gareth Edwards, the director, about why the creator looks so good and looks like a blockbuster, even though it had a budget of eighty million. And I was like, I think I skipped a couple of chapters because, the, in what world is eighty million dollars not a blockbuster budget? Like I, I, like I understand that it's usually like hundred million plus, but like, eighty million, like if you're giving someone eighty million, of course it's supposed to look good. I feel like it's also like issue is you give a director 200 million dollars and then i don't even want to say director but you get what i'm saying you put 200 million dollars to create a film and then it looks like shit so that whenever something that's made with a lot less money um looks better you're kind of just like oh wait what <laughs> so i don't know i it just it's crazy to me that anything can cost more than 50 to 80 million um you know I think you can do a lot with lighting (laughs) like it's just crazy because I think what gets me is that they spend so much money on like the CGI and like the green or green or blue screen when they could literally just create this kind of um, visual feast with again lighting uh, practical effects that cost so much less money and Studios and people who work on the budgets of films are just like refusing to do that. But, anyways, yeah, um, we need to redistribute the wealth here a little bit. Um, I don't know, like, let's be realistic here. I don't understand what's going on at any point in the industry um it's just really stupid but the reason i brought this up also like besides the creator is because um todd haynes has been doing a lot of press recently because may december is coming out in november in theaters and then i think december 1st on netflix which i feel like the movie could have made five million dollars at the box office if they advertised it as kind of like a mother-off between julianne moore and natalie portman um (laughs) <laughs> I don't know. Like, I think it just would have been so good. And yeah, I don't know. It, it, it sucks that it doesn't have this like, quote unquote, like traditional um theatrical release, but it is it is going to be on Netflix. I don't know. I think I'm so excited for it that I might just spend the money and watch it in theaters. And I feel like you should too. But um, I've been hearing, he- I've been hearing really good things about it. And so I'm very, very excited for the performances But also, again, I spoke about the movie, I think, last week, like, the nuances that are on display. So, um, let's get to what I was going to say. So, yeah, Todd Haynes has been doing a lot of press recently. And he was doing an interview with IndieWire. And, yeah, he spoke a little bit about the Peggy Lee biopic that he was going to be developing. So, Peggy Lee is an American singer-songwriter Probably most known for her song "Fever," but she has a ton, like a ton of hits. Um, yeah, she's like iconic within the American, you know, um, uh, singer lexicon, basically. And yeah, so it's been in development for a really long time. And he basically confirmed that it's not happening. He said that it's pretty much dead. Um, it was supposed to star Michelle Williams, and um, yeah, he he said that like the fact like it's not going to be in production any some any like at any time but he said like he's holding out hope that like maybe eventually it'll happen but as of right now it's pretty much dead at one point it was pretty close to kind of like pre-production you know like it it was about to happen sort of and then after it just couldn't happen it kind of fell through and um it was really like tough for them he said and so, yeah, like, Michelle Williams b- was supposed to star in it. It would have been so fun. Um, just because, like, Todd Haynes' biopics, you know. Um, like, I'm thinking of the Karen Carpenter, like, quote-unquote biopic that he did with the dolls. Um, the With the Barbie dolls, I think. Like, I- I'm not saying that that's the same energy that this one would hold. But I can see the vision kind of, like... Um, I feel like he would add definitely something campy to this um as he does in pretty much all his films um yeah so i don't know it kind of just sucks because it like thinking of the fact that it's like todd haynes michelle williams and you can't necessarily get this movie developed is kind of crazy to me but people are rushing to do these like ip driven like comic book shit when even sometimes those don't even make a lot of money so yeah, I think they're really like just putting their faith in the wrong things here. Like I think yeah, there just has to be like a reevaluation of where the money goes for Hollywood projects and like stop giving all your money to this one thing or not the this one thing, but like the big major like quote unquote like again IP shit, franchise shit, like like we need some originality here. And of course, like even though it is a biopic, it still would have been really interesting to see Todd Haynes look at Peggy's life. And so it just sucks that this is the case, like that this is the state that we're in, in the industry. Um, What else do I kind of want to say about this? I don't know. I think it would have been fun. And I feel like with proper marketing, anything can make money. Like I think, I think, you know, just, yeah. Like I, I don't know. I think marketing needs to come back in a big way, <laughs> and I don't know. It just sucks that like I think of when my parents were younger. Like the movies that made money were so much more like vastly different. Like nowadays, a rom com can break like maybe a hundred million, just over a hundred million, under two hundred million. But like years ago, like two decades ago or something a rom-com could make like 400 million easy and I just like don't know what happened there (laughs) like I do know what happened I understand but it's like so stupid that we don't live in you know that kind of film landscape I guess and I think also dramas and biopics are just getting paid dust even though they're so interesting and they're just so incredible to just see them in a theater and i think people are only like yeah as scorsese said i think i spoke about this last week they're being trained to like only go to the theater for like whatever large budget franchise things and they're forfeiting you know the experience of being able to like surround yourself with other people and watch this drama and like you know just like watching it in a theater and it's just ah. anyways let's not get mad but there's another piece of news that's coming up right after this so basically yeah the Fever biopic pretty much dead uh that kind of connects to budgets as well what's kind of crazy about this next piece of news is that like her dad is kind of also in the same boat like um so yeah so Sophia coppola whoa sorry Sophia coppola uh was talking to the wall street journal and she said that her priscilla budget so the priscilla presley uh film that she um made that's gonna be released soon she said that the budget was like so strained at times that uh she said that she was about to like raffle off a a pickleball game with jacob balorty um and i mean like i i'm sure she was like sort of joking but like not really just because like she needed additional shooting days and the budget was kind of small it is like an a24 film which is like more budget than a lot of people can get nowadays but it's interesting because if someone like Sofia Coppola, who has, like, such an insane, like, repertoire, can't even get money, and also, like, her dad, like, Francis Ford Coppola, he wanted to make, I think it's called Megalopolis, um, yeah, like, he had to, he had to basically, like, fund that shit himself because no one wanted to give him money, and it's just, like, insane that this is the state we're currently in, I don't know, just, just like, thinking about it and, like, letting it sit in, set in, is kind of just crazy to me. Speaking of dramas getting paid dust, sort of. Um, so, His Three Daughters. This is a film that I believe premiered at TIFF. Yes, it premiered at TIFF. I don't know why I said it, but I believe it did, it did. Um, it stars Natasha Leone, Elizabeth Olson, and Carrie Coon. Um, yeah, so this film, it's about the three of them as sisters, and they gather at their family house uh, for the last day of their father's life. And, yeah, so his three daughters. And the news regarding this film is that Netflix reportedly paid around $7 million for the rights to the film. Um, So, yeah, it'll be on Netflix eventually. Um, Yeah, I think this is, like, probably the third or fourth film that Netflix picked up from TIFF. They've been... Um, wait, I know that they got Woman of the Hour, which is Anna Kendrick's film. And they got something else, but I'm forgetting... We got another one that was pretty interesting oh hitman yeah the richard linklater film which i think i ranted about that i'm like why i hate netflix for that but anyways yeah so about seven million they paid for his three daughter daughters um yeah i don't know um it's i don't know i really wish films were just like like given the opportunity to like have more of a normal theatrical release and things were given space to have that theatrical release because it really sucks that a lot of films aren't, um, being given that space. Um, like the quote unquote, like lower budget dramas, um, don't even have the opportunity to make money. (laughs) I don't know. It, it sucks. But anyways, Netflix, uh, paid about 7 million for his three daughters. And, uh, yeah, I'm excited to see the film. I think that a lot of buzz surrounding this film has been about the performances. So nonetheless, I am excited for it. Onto some more exciting news. Um, Well, the History Daughters thing was exciting. It's just like Netflix kind of like bums me out. But anyways, so Beyonce, who has been embarking on the Renaissance tour, um, just selling out dates. And it's, I don't know. Like, I think it is just like a history making stadium tour. And I'm like, I feel really lucky to be alive at the same time that this is happening, even though I didn't go to the show. for different reasons. I'm I'm very upset that I wasn't able to go. But anyways, she basically announced that a concert film of the Renaissance tour is going to be in theaters on December 1st. I believe AMC has the rights for this. So, they are going to be distributing it. But also, it's going to be um, released in Mexico and Canada as well. So, the film is called Renaissance, a film by Beyonce. And yeah, so... Uh, Canada, Mexico, and the U.S. are officially confirmed. Of course, it's going to have international markets eventually. They'll be announced soon. And yeah, so I think it's just really cool that we're going to be able to have the opportunity to watch it in theaters. Um, Again, for someone like me who wasn't able to go, I think this is going to be really, really exciting. Um, You know, a lot of people have been wanting the Renaissance visuals. And so this counts sort of not really but i i understand why people are upset they really want like the music videos etc but at least we're getting the film um yeah taylor and beyonce taylor swift and beyonce are like embarking on these like legendary tours right now and it's really really great that we get to witness it um i'm really happy that we get to witness it and also they're both having concert films and theaters and so yeah i think it just gives people the opportunity who maybe want to go, but they can't. Uh, Just the opportunity to, like, witness the production and the scale of these events. You know, it feels kind of, um, yeah, I don't know, almost like it feels perfect that the 40th anniversary of Stop Making Sense happened this year, and the re-release in IMAX theaters happened this year because, we have these two legendary, like, stadium tours that are happening that both are receiving a concert film attached to them, which is really, really great. But, yeah, I think, you know, it's also interesting that we got one of the most, you know, important concert films of all time also being re-released in the same year, Um yeah so the fact that like stop making sense is happening and like i'm seeing videos of the screenings and people are just like up standing like beside their seats or they're standing at the front and dancing i really wish i was a talking heads fan um just because like the screenings look so much fun and again like even though i don't know much about them i know some of their songs but like even then the concert film is kind of legendary that to the point where like I don't know even if i do go to a screening like i know i would still have a great time and yeah i'm just so so thrilled that all of these concert films are like kind of having their release at least for stop making sense it's having another release but still it's just it's so great that all these are like existing at the same time and we get to experience them so again renaissance a film by beyonce is going to be released on december 1st in the us canada and mexico I'm sure international dates will be released very, very soon. We got a new trailer for Sam Esmail's Leave the World Behind. This is going to also be released on Netflix. Anyways. Um, So yeah, new trailer for the film. It stars a huge, huge cast. Um, Not necessarily in numbers, just like the people that it features is crazy. But also like, again, this is also kind of making me mad because it's like, this cast could have made so much money. Anyways, so it's starring Julia Roberts, Marshal Ali, Ethan Hawke, Mahala Harold, Farrah McKenzie, Charlie Evans, and Kevin Bacon. So the film is about a family who are on vacation on Long Island. And then, uh, yeah, it's interrupted by two strangers who tell them that there's a blackout. And then the families have to decide how to survive the potential crisis. I don't necessarily know what is like, what the film is all about and I'm kind of glad like I'm I I think this is going to be an interesting film to kind of go in blind to um I mean of course you can watch your trailer it's out right now but just knowing that these are the people that are in the film and like this is the cast and um yeah knowing that I guess it might have layers of like thriller to it and stuff like that is really really interesting and you know seeing how they're going to Um, survive this is going to be interesting as well I mean I don't know I'm seated for anything Julia Roberts is in um and you know yeah I I just I really love her um and again like Mahershala Ali like come on (laughs) like you can't can't get much better than this cast honestly it's kind of crazy and um yeah I'm really interested to see like The motivations behind these characters and seeing what these actors can bring to these kinds of characters is going to be really really interesting moving on to some news about saw x so this 10th i mean it's called saw x but i don't actually know if it's the 10th film in the franchise because they did like a bunch of like spiral and stuff but anyway Saw X, never mind. We'll stick with calling it that for now. Is um the highest rated film in the Saw franchise. It was just recently uh, released in theaters. It did very well at the box office, considering that the budget was again like I think like only thirteen million. See, the Saw franchise is doing something right. But anyways, um, it's the highest rated film in the Saw franchise on Rotten Tomatoes. I should say it's actually the first and only film in the franchise to receive a fresh score, which i mean i don't know (laughs) i think i think the first one is pretty well received i just think it has a lower score on rotten tomatoes so yeah like knowing that this is the first film in the franchise to even receive a fresh score it i don't want to say it's surprising but i thought at least the first film would have a fresh score But I mean, knowing that it's been like, again, like 10 movies into this franchise and it finally has that fresh score, um, I'm happy for the fans. I'm happy for the people involved. Again, Rotten Tomatoes is kind of like, it kind of is a flawed system regarding like rating. And I think it is very simplistic to just look at the negative or positive reviews and then being like, okay, uh, 50% of people think that it's positive, that they have positive reviews for it and then the other 50% don't. And so therefore it has a 50%, which... I understand, like, how the system works, and I think it's, I think it's an interesting system, to say the least, but, like, I don't know. I think, I, I think it's, like, again, very flawed. I don't necessarily think we should put all of our faith into it, um, but I trust the critics more than I trust the audience score, um, so, yeah, again, Saw X, highest rated film in the franchise. I really do think that, um, a lot of people are praising the acting in this one, and um they are praising a lot of the traps so i mean if you you're watching saw for the traps i'm sorry you are not watching it for the story so if you like those traps then like go and support this film i know it is a franchise and it's been here for too long but uh, in my opinion but um yeah go support it if you like that type of thing i have never watched a saw film in my life and i don't think i ever will um i'm kind of like i don't have the strongest stomach let's just say that and i know it's not like i've seen some of this stuff and it's not like that bad but it's like i don't like having to feel like visceral pain <laughs> when i'm watching a movie and like having to feel it like i know it's all literal but like just yeah anyways um yeah saw x great reviews check it out if you're interested in that kind of stuff i'm gonna start For this piece of news, I'm gonna, like, start out by, like, leading in and saying that the SAG after a strike is still happening. They're still, uh, negotiating right now. They are going to continue negotiations on Wednesday, so today, technically. Um, so I don't have any news regarding that. They are just continuing to negotiate. But since the writers' strike is, um ended, I guess we should say, a lot of them are still going to be striking in solidarity, but they are still, they're allowed to start writing now. So yeah, the writer's room for a lot of films, sorry, yeah, a lot of films, but also specifically TV shows are opening up again. So the writer's room for Yellow Jackets season three is going to resume today, allegedly. Um, And also the writer's room for Sex, Lies of College Girls uh, season three will also resume this week. Um, what's interesting is that they are both in season three. Um, I don't know exactly. Yellow Jacket season two. I love Yellow Jacket so much. But like season two definitely tried to do a little bit too much. It is a very large show. Like there's a lot of characters, there's a lot of storylines. It's just like I feel like a lot of them. Like for example, like Ty's storyline was definitely sacrificed. And I feel like they could have they could have made her character have less to do without it feeling as though they were focusing more on other things. I don't know. But anyways, it just felt odd that like her storyline, I guess, was kind of sidelined. But um, I'm hoping that they kind of can pick it up for season three. I think, I don't know. I do think that the writers for this show will... I think, I think they see our tweets. <laughs> so, um, I'm hoping that they can pick it up for season three again. As for the sex lives, lives, oh my God, sex lives with college girls. That is interesting to me because Renee Rapp is leaving the show. Um, I'm pretty sure she's just going to be in a couple of episodes and then she'll, um, sorry, she'll be leaving. Um, you know, she has her little like pop, her little pop star, thing going on so it is definitely going to be hard for her to have to like continue this like she's on tour and I'm sure she's on the tour like internationally soon so yeah again the writers rooms for these both these shows are going to be resuming um I don't know I think they do have a lot on their plate so shout out to the writers um I hope they're happy with what they write and um the fans are as well Um, Yeah, so I think this is really, really fun news that I want to end with. So, we got some casting confirmation. So, The Fabulous Four is a wedding comedy, and it actually has been a thing for a while. I actually spoke on it previously on a different project. And so, it follows three lifelong friends who travel to Florida to be bridesmaids in, um, you know, like a, a, a wedding for their college friend and so yeah again it like focuses on these four friends technically and i'm pretty sure the first three names that i'm about to mention were confirmed already so it's going to feature susan sarandon Bette midler and megan Mullally. and so yeah i i'm pretty sure i spoke about how they were already cast but it was actually confirmed i think recently that cheryl lee ralph is also going to star in it um this isn't like this is so fun i i like wedding comedies especially when they're done in a way that is you know smart and engaging and having these four women be kind of like the leads of this film is really fun I'm excited for it um and so yeah I think seeing Cheryl Lee Ralph in more stuff is always great for me as a viewer and fan of film and television because she has just such an amazing presence and um yeah so I'm really really excited about the fabulous four I'm going to start the part of yeah I'm gonna start the part of the pod where we talk about you know a film that we love we hate it could be something we watched recently it doesn't matter but I actually want to talk about Land. so this is the Chloe Zhao film of course it won best picture I don't need to introduce this film because you know it already I think I just want to talk about, like, the rewatch value of that film. I've actually only watched it twice, but the thing is, like, I'm one of those people that rarely rewatches films, like, I rarely, like, rewatch TV shows, I rarely rewatch movies, I rarely reread books, like, once I've experienced something, it's usually enough for me, but I mean, recently I have been rewatching films a little bit more. I'm not exactly sure why, um, I think, I think it's just something that I've been doing more often. I don't necessarily know like I feel like once I have a grasp on something my opinion about it doesn't often change um I don't know I think I think I'm pretty sh- um I'm pretty like set in my beliefs regarding something once I once I've like engaged with it so yeah I I don't know I don't often rewatch things but movies that have high rewatch values are often things like musicals um comedies sometimes dramas but it's mostly like fun uplifting things but we rarely hear people saying like oh my god I love re-watching this drama film it or like this you know like slow western you know um those like I don't even want to say slower but like the things that you need to like have a little bit more time to like sit with we rarely get people saying that they have they've like rewatched them or they have high rewatch values. But like the fact that I've rewatched Nom- Nomadland is kind of very telling. Um, the film is very scenic and it kind of, it, it definitely does like feel as though you were on a journey with this char- these characters. I don't even want to say just the main character. I think just like the group itself, like, yeah, I don't know, just very much feels as though i am part of that group and i am traveling alongside them and working alongside them and there's something about that that definitely made me feel like comfort and made me feel um calm and i think there's just such a great rewatch value in the film if you haven't watched it once well i think you're definitely missing out like it is such an incredible film Um, I'm really upset that I wasn't able to watch it in theaters. I really hope that eventually I'm given the opportunity to watch it in theaters just because I feel like it would look so great on like a huge screen. I watched it like on my TV at home which is a great opportunity still and I'm glad that I was given you know the opportunity to like have that experience with the film because it is such a beautiful film but again yeah like I don't know I think I would really really love to experience it on a large screen one day but anyways yeah Nomadland um it has a great rewatch value I think you know just being able to like sit with the themes in the film kind of plays into that um I really really just love the community aspect of it and I do think that's why I mean there's a lot of it that isn't necessarily feel good it is it's about like class and wealth and you know, that type of stuff. But there is a lot that makes me feel really, really, like, great. Uh, like, seeing the beauty in, like, humanity and in these, like, nomad communities is something that I felt really, really positive about, positively about. And so, yeah, rewatch values on films are really, really great. Um, but it's really nice when we can get, like, rewatch value on something that isn't necessarily, like, you know, a quote-unquote, like, comfort film. Even though No My Lad kind of is, like, one of my comfort films, it's not something you would expect to be a comfort film. Um, so, like, let's not, you know, like, Desert Island films. I'm thinking of, like, that, for example. Sure, you can have your, like, rom-com and stuff like that. But, like, let's open it up, <laughs> you know? Like, like like let's open it up. If you haven't watched it, like, please do. I, mm-hmm. Now on to the part of the pod where I end with a film that is going to be in theaters this weekend. So, The Royal Hotel, um, it, it it is directed by Kitty Green. Um, it's starring Julia Garner, who was in another Kitty Green project called The Assistant. Um, And yeah, it's also starring Jessica Henwick, who I love. It also features Toby Wallace and Hugo Weaving. It's co-written by Green and Oscar Redding, and is actually based on a 2016 documentary, Hotel Coolgardie, I believe that's how you pronounce it. This film is a psychological thriller. So, The Royal Hotel is based on this real-life place. Um, It follows Garner and Henwick's characters, who are Americans. They're backpacking through Australia and decide to take a job at an Australian outback bar. um, Who? uh, who? Yeah. the, The bar is run by Weaving's character. So, what's important to note is that, like, if you're unfamiliar with the documentary this movie is about a mining town pub and i feel like if you're familiar with the nature of those towns they are overtly male um they are filled with a lot of men and yeah i mean i'm thinking of yeah i'm kind of thinking of um kate beaton's ducks it is a graphic novel by a uh, canadian writer-artist, Kate Beaton, and it's about her time in the oil sands. If you know anything about that book, you can kind of see where I am leading with this. So yeah, The Royal Hotel, it is a psychological thriller. It's um, gonna definitely focus on the sexism and harassment that Julia Garner and Jessica Henwick's characters face um, while working at this bar and just like the very disgusting things that happen to them but they kind of like need to work there in order to make money um and i guess it also kind of looks at like spaces and how that operates in what people do and how people act and you know kind of like the settings that these like mind town pubs create and the actions that they foster, I guess. I'm really, really excited for this film. I I know I'm going to end up going to see it really, really soon. Um, I'm just, you know, trying and waiting for it to be released. I think it's going to be released this um, Friday. So, please, I know it is a really, really indie film. Like, it might not be playing at, like, the local theater chain, but it probably will be playing at an independent theater or... Um I know it's gonna be playing at Tiff, so Tiff Bell Lightbox. So if you have the opportunity, go check it out. i'm I've heard really good things about it. I really liked the assistant. There's just something that Kitty Green is really good at is, yeah, there's something about like the way she is able to like create tone and make you feel so uncomfortable that like I'm a little bit scared to watch the Royal Hotel because I know there's gonna be a lot of that in this film. But if you haven't watched The Assistant, check it out. And I feel like you can really get a grasp of, like, what I'm talking about. The, like, the, like, energy and, like, air of the film is very, like, suffocating and, like, really, really uncomfortable to the point where it's, like, oh, shit. Like, I've been in a situation like this before. I know what it feels like. And it's, like, I don't know. I feel like it kind of it kind of activates someone's fight or flight. Um... It, yeah, it's it's just a really good film, and I think you should check it out if you haven't. The Royal Hotel, I'm not gonna say, I'm not saying it's exactly the same, but I do think there's going to be overlapping themes, and I really think it'll be cool if, throughout her career, Kitty Green, like, kind of continues with that. So, The Royal Hotel, in theaters this weekend, check it out, um, and check out the documentary. I've tried finding the documentary, and I don't think I can, um, but if you can't find it, I think... If you're into, like, documentaries and, like, real-life stuff, <laughs> um, check it out. But anyways, uh, a lot of news. Let's go sag after uh, SAG-NEXT, SAG-NEXT. Um, I'm just so excited for The Strike to be over. Like, I need these people to be paid. Um, but anyways, I don't know why I'm going to title this episode. But, um, yeah, check out the description that I've attached to this episode for, like, all my socials and to learn more about pedal projections, and you should buy a copy of the magazine. Um, Anyways, bye!